Good morning everybody, week 3 of Octagon Challenge and some of you listening are not on the challenge it doesn't really matter listening to these podcasts because you can get something from them but today I want to share 5 studies so one of the tasks today for the Octagon Challenge is the box breathing and you're gonna if you go to the task page on the app you'll also see the benefits and the science behind box breathing and, and really mindfulness and there's a quote by the Buddha in the task today the root of suffering is attachment. Ooh. What do you think about that? Let me know on the radio. Let's discuss. But the five studies today that I want to relate to behavior. So study one looks at mindful eating for weight loss, a randomized control trial. Now, if you're reading the book we're doing for book club, you would know that RCTs, randomized control trials, are like the gold standard of studies. Okay, so then... The limitations is the they're small compared to observational data, so looking at large numbers of people, but they can they can they can distinguish cause and effect in RCTs. So in this study they're looking at does mindfulness or mindful eating actually work? Okay. So the results of this study <coughs> the participants in the mindful eating group experienced a significant reduction in weight with an average weight loss of five pounds over a 5.5 month intervention period compared to a slight weight gain of 0.2 pounds in the control group which didn't have any mindfulness training. Additionally, the mindfulness eating group reported significant improvements in eating behaviors including reduced binge eating and emotional eating, better control over portion sizes and greater self-compassion. Okay, so mindfulness has a very all-encompassing uh, impact on your life. So you can practice it every single day when you eat. That's the good thing about when we're eating. We do it every day, and we should be. <laughs> and you can practice moderation. Moderation isn't possible without mindfulness. Think about it. Like, if you're not there, you're somewhere else, and you're eating, you haven't got a clue what you're doing. You're just eating, 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 eating. Before you know it, you've eaten, like, loads of amounts of food, and you're like, I don't know what happened. You weren't even there. Your body was eating, your mind was somewhere else. So your mind has to come into the moment whilst you're eating to bring mindfulness to the moment, which can enable you to have a moderate approach. And if you can think about that throughout pretty much every task throughout your day, no, no task is going to knock you and overwhelm you. So you might get a, a work task that's like, quick, you've got to do this, something's failed. You know, that can knock you. Like, for example, you wake up and you get an email on uh, 9 a.m. and some project you're working on or something you're doing... Something's messed up badly, it's got to be fixed, right? So that can knock you off your feet and be like, shit, what do I do now? Panic. But if you've got mindfulness, if you bring it back to the moment, right? I am a human being, two hands, I think, and I can do what I can, and, but, you know, I can only do my best here, right? So what is the next logical step here? How can we go ahead rationally with this and solve this problem, right? You have to have mindfulness, you have to be there in the moment so you don't get sw swept away by it and cause, you know, headless chicken syndrome type of thing. You're running about with no clue what you're doing. Just panicking, panicking, panicking. So that's why it's important that we do actually practice this mindful stuff. It's not just like wishy-washy nonsense. There's a lot of research behind this. So it's very simple to do. It's just observing your own self, eating, chewing slowly, tasting every bite, understanding the food, understanding, you know, everything around, like... Okay, I, I, I'm desiring more of this. I want to eat more because it's tasty. Okay, guarantee. You know, just looking at all of that stuff and uh, should help. Study number two, the effect of social support and weight loss, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Again, these are another types of 
studies that are brilliant because they look at like all the research and they obviously have filters like this research isn't good enough to be included and they look at all the research and come up with a conclusion so in this one um, groups, weight loss groups that had higher sub- social support experienced significant weight loss more than the ones without, right? So that's all the studies really says about that. It's like that the social component led to greater weight, weight loss and it's important to have that um, part of the journey. So if you are on Octagon 3 now and you're three weeks in, you haven't sent a message to some turtle, you've seen do a post and saying, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, really resonated with me. You haven't joined any live zooms you haven't um posted any comments or done a post in the facebook group you might be missing out on utilizing the social support you might feel like yeah i'm in these groups i'm in the whatsapp group i'm on the facebook group but i don't feel like all the social support is like what are you doing are you actually putting your name out there are you saying anything or are you just a fly in the wall the flies on the wall aren't going to get a social support are they i mean of course you're going to get support you're getting it right now but you have to put yourself out there. So if there's some of you that feel like you haven't done that yet, but you'd love to, start simple with a post. Hey guys, I've listened to the podcast today by Scott. He's mentioned for people that haven't posted to do it because we, have, you know, I want to get myself out there. I'm doing it. You know, I'm nervous about it. I don't usually do this, but I'm from this area. My goal is this. Is anyone else in the same boat? Um, I joined Turtlist, but you know, just anything. And then anyone else, anyone that sees those posts, please comment and let's get a chat going, right? So let's make sure we do that and utilize social support as much as possible. Okay, so the next one, the role of self-monitoring in the maintenance of weight loss success. This was done in 2013. Um, Results were participants who were more consistent with self-monitoring, which is tracking their food intake, exercise and weight, had better weight loss maintenance. The study found that those who monitored their food intake at least six days per week were more successful at maintaining their weight loss compared to those who monitored less frequently. Furthermore, those who weighed themselves daily were more successful at maintaining their weight loss than those who weighed less often. Now, the thing to take from this is obviously self-monitoring is going to improve your behavior. You know, when you can't measure anything and you can't see what's going on, how do you improve from it? You know, like, you need to look at this and be like, right, okay, well, if I'm monitoring my money in, money out, then I probably will be better at managing my money. That's fairly obvious conclusion to make from it as long as you got the right advice obviously like you could be very good at looking at your money in and out but you're still erratic with your behavior of spending money even though you can see it going out and silly stuff that awareness should lead to change right so most of the time it does and it's the same with our weight you know if we're aware of what we're putting in our bodies and aware what we're like what we're weighing and we're aware of like what's going out in a sense like we don't have to work out exactly how many calories are burning from exercise but we still need to be like, right, where my step levels are. That's a very good metric. Am I moving? Am I doing any work at all? If you think about it, rationally, logically, of course that's going to help you maintain your weight more. You know what the factors are coming in and out. You know, I'm looking at, like, these research now, they're looking at, like, can we use machine learning algorithms to predict if people are going to lose weight in X, Y, Z diet? And it's like... You use these like different algorithms to find out what the variables are that have the biggest impact on someone's weight in 10 weeks' time. You know, it always boils down to the basics. It's like, what's their weight at the start? What's their energy in? You know, what's their energy out in terms of steps? And there's a few other bits that come into it. Different studies got different uh, variables that, um, that are quite interesting. And the ones we're going to look at uh, soon, and I'll show you how to do it, is like stress and all that, like how does that impact? But... In the end, it is that simpler, simplified equation of energy in, energy out. 
that doesn't mean you're going to be healthier than someone else because you know that or you understand that. It doesn't tell you anything about nutrient quality. It doesn't tell you anything about your protein intake. It doesn't tell you anything about your carbs and fat intake. It doesn't tell you whether, like, you know, if it's a highly processed diet or not. Like, so it doesn't say the full picture. But, of course, for weight, you know, your weight, your body fat percentage, your body fat levels, that is stored energy, excess energy stored away. That's all it is, right? Understand this. To utilize your stored energy, you've got to give it a chance to be used. If you keep bringing too much energy in, it doesn't need to be used because the energy's coming in and fulfilling the demands the body wants. Therefore, the reserve tank never gets used. You know, we need to use a reserve tank. If a reserve tank's getting too big, we need to start using it. That's it. Simple as. And then it goes into the complex stuff of, okay, behavior and all that. That's really where we're focusing on with turtle. Like we can, people can fight over calories in, calories out, if it's real enough, all they want on social media. You can forget about those people because it is 100% true that the energy balance equation works in all energy systems. And, you know, we are part of the energy system. That's all you've got to know. Um, so you forget about those battles, but we have to look at our behavior. That's the key. You know, the mindfulness stuff. Like, have you ever tried it? Have you ever looked at, have you ever s timed how quick you eat? And I'm saying this to myself as well, too quick. But I have been doing more and more um, slower eating and stuff like that. And I'm not mindful every time I eat, no. I'm not. But when I am, huge difference, huge difference. The last study I want to look at is aerobic, so like, you know, running, uh, cardio, versus resistance exercise, so anything like bands with dumbbells or the barbells, in postmenopausal women the effects on their body composition, muscle strength, and physical function. This is a 2012 study published in the Menopause um, Journal. Simply put, the six, it was 16 weeks long, so you had exercise only, resistance training only, and control group, which did none. Um, both exercise group and resistance training group improved, uh, were beneficial to postmenopause women in terms of improving body composition, muscle strength, and physical function. But the study does suggest that doing both types of exercise isn't could lead to even better overall results. So the most important thing to realize here is whether you love running or cardio or whether you love training only and you don't really like the other, the opposite one. Like, for example, I'm not a big fan of doing cardio. I'd rather lift weights. But I understand that doing cardio is going to give me a boost of benefits, not just with if I just did weights on its own. And the same for cardio. You've got to realize that I love cardio, but I don't like lifting weights. Well, there's there's health impacts, there's health benefits for lifting weights that you don't get from cardio, but you bring them both together and they're like super results, you know? So you've got to take, you've got to go, right, how can I build this into my routine? You might say, I can do two weight sessions a week and then I can do maybe some one run or I can do some cardio or I can do some like long walks, brisk walks, you know, try and mix it up, try and find what works for you. You've got to be a game of Tetris, like you game of Tetris for macros, you've got to fit the macros into, your, into the game. Same with this type of stuff, you've got the octagon challenge to experiment, it's not meant to be a final thing. So you might have done two weeks now, or you've tried this and that, now it's time to think, right, what did I like, and is it a mix of resistance, and is it a mix of cardio? So for example, dance plus two AMRAPs, you've got resistance training in the AMRAPs, and you've got dance, which is a cardio uh, aerobic type workout there, brilliant. Okay, really good combination. For you, for you that want to do three workouts a week, that's brilliant. Right? For some of you, I can't even do one workout or two workouts. For example, Ali, who did a post in the group saying, guys, Octagon 3 is not going to plan like it did Octagon 2. 
life is really busy right now, what do I do, how can I get it going? And the thing to learn about that is like, right, are we expected to be able to do the exact training we want week in, week out for the rest of our lives? No. We are like, there's like dials on our life, isn't it? There's like sometimes we can turn the dial up for training. Okay, the next six weeks, I've got like less workload. I'm in a really good place. The weather's great. I'm going to go out walking and I feel good. My, I'm meal prepping. I can do it. Brilliant. And you can turn that dial up. And then sometimes you've got like really a lot of stress with work or you've got like family bereavements and all this stuff. And actually then you have to go, my time for exercise and stuff is going to have to be dialed down. And my time with my family, just being there, um, dealing with stress from work, that's getting turned up. You know, you can't turn them all up at the same time. It's impossible. I mean, some people can run on that for a bit, but we all know what happens when everybody turns everything up to full pelt 100% of the time. That's not a balance, is it? Balance is different to all of us. Some of you can handle more than others. But we still have to understand these functions. Like, So, Ali, you're like turning the dial down for your workers right now. You're turning the dial up for work. And you, you know, you're overloaded with work and stress and stuff like that. But can we maintain the dial on our eating? Does our eating have to be turned up in this response? Sometimes it does. Sometimes, like some brilliant posts in the group, we've got stress packages. And sometimes doing this, we're going to turn the dial up a bit. Yeah, my target is this, this many calories. But I'm going to turn it up a bit. I want to incorporate one of those stress packages once a day. It's going to bump my calories up. But, you know, this is going to help reduce my stress. And it's going to be worth it during these tough times. And in the end, I'm maintained after a while. I've maintained my weight. So Ali, for you, it's like, do you need to, are you, are, you a, are you a fat loss? Do you need to be at fat loss right now? These are questions only you can answer. And this is for all of you. There's never like, you have to do one thing with on this no pain, no gain scenario. You have to be flexible. The bamboo in strong winds doesn't break, but the oak tree does. The oak tree snaps said by some old Zen master on some podcast I listen to. <laughs> but it stuck with me. I think it's actually B. Water, my friend, Bruce Lee's book, Bruce Lee's daughter's book. Sorry, Shannon Lee, let me say the names, not just Bruce Lee's daughter. Shannon Lee, brilliant writer. Um, the bamboo is, is flexible. It's not stronger in itself than the oak. The oak is rigid, but it is going to get knocked down by the strong enough wind's going to knock it down. Got to be like bamboo, you got to be pliable, you got to be, got to be flexible with everything. That's why we're reading the book Flexible Dieting. It doesn't mean the diet in, in the old, the, the phrase you think like strong diet, it just means flexible eating. We've got to be flexible eaters, we've got to be flexible uh, trainers, we've got to be flexible, um, we've got to be flexible with our work, we've got to be flexible with the time we can offer friends, family, we've got to be flexible with everything. Otherwise, you're just going to get stale. You're going to be a stale old thing. Not moving anywhere. Rigid. Nope, I can't change anything. This is how it is. We know how that's played out. We know how people people with mindsets like that play out. It's not good. It's not good. So I want you to take those studies on board. Really be mindful today. You've done the breath work in the morning with Annie. Maybe you can do it repeated every, before every meal time to bring your focus back to your body, back to your breath, right? You can do a mindful eat in each meal and let me know in the group at the end of the day, right, Scott, I did Annie's breath work before every meal and then I ate my meal really slowly and actually made a big difference, you know? Like, so let me know in the group if you try this out and try and incorporate a mix of resistance training and cardio if you can, but if you can't, you can do only do what you can do and make sure you are just tracking because in the study I mentioned about weight maintenance and weight loss, just tracking by itself 
the awareness of that will help you reduce your weight to maintain it. So even if you don't like what you're eating, right? You're like, ah, oh, I'm having a McDonald's again and this and that, and it's taking me over. Just keep putting it in, keep tracking it because you know where you're at then. Keep weighing yourself every morning. Remove yourself from the numbers. It's just data. But understanding the fluctuations, going, Jesus Christ, my numbers are going up all, up and down all the time. I didn't realize it was this crazy. So why am I worrying if I put a pound or two on? It's obviously it's an erratic weight anyway. And I'll just look at the weekly average with the app, right? And then obviously try and look at your step count. One last thing about step, um, one last thing in this podcast I mentioned. So I've been running a lot of, um, I've been using a lot of our trained machine learning model. I don't want to bore you with all that stuff, but I've been looking at Blaith's data a lot and using our model and trained trained it and looked at Blaith's, Blaith's data, who's got like over a year of data, right? So we can look at it consistently. And it was interesting when I run um, a test to see which elements, which uh, variables, and what I mean by that is like, what impacts Blaith's weight the most? Is it protein intake? Is it carb intake? Is it fat intake? Is it calorie intake? Is it accuracy of those macros is it her step count is it her workouts right and when it came to it interestingly enough steps was not determined to be a, a strong indicator to check for her weight right and do you know why this is this is why belief step count is 15,000 to 22,000 on average throughout her weeks very rarely has she dipped below those numbers. Her step count is very, very high. So what this tells us is once your step count gets to a certain level, it doesn't, and more steps doesn't have any say in your weight really, right? So if Blaith went down to 8,000 steps a day, yes, she would definitely see the impact. But because she's already on 15,000, going from 15,000 to 18,000 isn't a strong indicator on the weight anymore. But for you, who was on 3,000 steps a day, going to 6,000 steps a day, you're gonna see a big difference, right? So the good news here is, is that up to a certain point of steps, say that we'll find the number out on average, but say it's 12 and a half thousand steps a day. Once you go beyond that, there's the diminishing returns, right? So whatever you are in this spectrum, look at your steps last week. If you're 2,000 steps, 1,000 steps, 4,000 steps, any increase up to 12 is likely going to get you more results. So try and slowly increase your step count, right? More walks at lunch breaks and stuff like that and see the benefits. And anyone who's already at 12,000 or whatever, that range, you don't have to worry about doing more. You've ticked that box, done. I have maximized this, boom. If you want to do more steps, happy days. But don't think that it's, an, uh, it's going to bring more results for you. The likelihood is not, okay? So... That's a good little finding we've had a look at, so get your steps in as well, and I will speak to you all soon. Get your one big thing, didn't even speak English either, right? Get your one big thing done.